We talked about trouble last Sunday. We're going to talk about the value of problems or the value of trouble today. Job 5, 7, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. You may ask, what does that have to do with problems? I'll explain in a minute. But it does have a great deal to do with problems. The last verse of John 16, in the world ye shall have tribulation or you shall have problems. But smile, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, says Jesus. We are going to tie these scriptures together in this message we have called the value of problems. Our heritage as Americans is that of a people with courage and resourcefulness. And I'm grateful for this heritage. I think it's wonderful. This nation was hewed out of great problems. A great change, however, seems to have emerged in our national philosophy with respect to problems. There are those among us who believe that ideally nobody should have a problem, that a part of the function of government and of civilization is to relieve us of all of our problems. So government agencies are formed to alleviate problems. Education in many ways teaches that we should live above problems. It is good that we want to alleviate pain and we want to alleviate suffering in society. That is fine and good, but there is a great danger in assuming that elimination of problems altogether is a good thing. Those who would espouse such a doctrine or such a philosophy do not know nor understand what the Word of God teaches on the subject of problems. So I have come to the pulpit today hopefully to help you. If a politician, if a preacher, if a teacher if anybody comes along and tells you that you are someday going to be free of problems, don't pay any attention to them. It's not true. Problems are inherent in the nature of the universe. And if you're aware of it, you're able to cope so much better. So I feel I must tell you today exactly where I believe God stands on this issue of problems. I believe in possibility thinking. I believe in the power of positive thinking. I do believe that we are sick when our thoughts are sick. But that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that we are going to walk through this world free of problems. That is not what it implies at all. I am not a believer in mind science. I do not believe that you can just think your way out of a pain or a problem 
that you may be facing in your life. My favorite little line on that I've shared with you before, the mind science person who died and went to hell, and there he said, I'm not here and it's not hot. That doesn't change the circumstance. Just to say it is not real. You understand where I'm coming from? Man is born unto trouble, the Bible says. Jesus said, we will have tribulation. In other words, there's no escape from problems. The idea is to overcome them with the power of God. That is the concept of the maker of this universe that we overcome our problems with his power, with his ability, that we will have problems until the day we die and some people after they die if they don't get right with God while they live. So let us learn how to handle them. Our other text in John 16, verse 13, says that the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. Now, this is a real important part of my introduction today. You must understand what Jesus Christ is saying to us in this passage. I believe Jesus is unfolding for us here the greatness of the gospel, the power of God to guide us to the real meaning of something that appears to be a problem. When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That out of every circumstance of life, the spirit will guide you in that circumstance to the truth of that circumstance. In other words, God gives us understanding. Wisdom about our problems comes from God. That's a part of this passage in John 16, where Jesus says, you're going to have problems. But in the problem, we are going to have wisdom and understanding like Daniel of old in how to handle that problem and use that problem to the glory of God. I was with a minister friend this week, and he told me the funniest story happened in his church after a service. A fellow came to him and he said, Pastor, I feel God has told me to run through that brick wall over there. Well, what, what do you do? You know, before he could say anything, the guy was off. And he just hit that brick wall, smack dab, knocked him on his backside, nose bleeding. And he got up in a minute and he said, Wow, I sure hope God doesn't ask me to do that again. <laughs> Just love that. It actually happened. We need divine understanding. We need to know God's voice. We need to be able to sift out what God is doing in our life. And we have that promise in John 16. I will guide you into all truth. 
Let me illustrate that with one week out of my life in my former pastorate. I was thinking about this this week and recounting these events. In one week of ministry, all of this happened. It started on Sunday night. I even remember the date. It was January the 3rd. I had purchased a new car the week before, and it had 730 miles on it. On Sunday night, my son Rick wanted to ride with me home, and I had to make a little detour by the post office, so he was sitting on the right. I was driving one block from the post office, coming up an incline, and getting into the middle of an intersection, I sensed that the lights to my right were not slowing down for the stop sign that was at the corner. I knew we were going to collide in the middle of that intersection and my son was sitting there where the collision would get the greatest impact. So I flipped the wheel as fast as I could to the left, ended up on a sidewalk next to a telephone pole after the collision occurred. Glass flying everywhere, pain shot up my leg and I immediately cried out, Jesus, because I felt that with that kind of impact, Rick could be in real trouble. The window by him was totally blown out. The door was practically ripped off. And I said, Rick, are you all right? He said, I think so. And the only thing we could find was one little drop of blood from his earlobe from a piece of glass. Otherwise, no problem. I had a sore black and blue leg for a while from impact, but no problem really that lasted. The car was uh, in a mess for seven weeks getting repaired, never did run right after that. You'd like to avoid things like that, but they do occur. Then I got a phone call about a 27-year-old man in our church who was planning to marry our pianist in a short time. He had come from Holland to America years before, was a part of our fellowship, and the phone call told me that he was in the hospital with stomach cancer, 27. I went to see Hens in the hospital, and he lived only a few days. He died very rapidly. That cancer just shot through his system. And here I was with this young fiancé and the father of Hens who came from Holland for the funeral, not understanding at all what had happened. Then the manager of Penny's, who was a good friend of mine and a member of our church, said to me, Pastor, my father is dying of cancer 75 miles away. Then a lady called me and said, my brother has been in an automobile accident and there is severe pressure on his brain and we don't know what to do. One of the leaders of our church had the unfortunate circumstance that week of running into a pedestrian who darted out into traffic and the pedestrian died. All of that in hours. But what intrigued me were the responses to those situations. 
I was so grateful that Rick wasn't hurt that only we had a dented car, that life and limb was all right, that I thank God for it. The fellow who ran over the pedestrian said to me, Pastor, I never knew I had so many friends. In fact, he just kept saying it over and over, friends, friends, friends. It's amazing what you can find in your problems. My friend whose father was dying of cancer ended our conversation by saying, but my dad is ready to go if it's God's will. And the lady who called about her brother who was having the pressure on his brain said, oh, pastor, I want to trust God in this whole situation. And the young lady whose fiancé was suddenly taken by death still sends us Christmas cards every year and sometimes in between and with a picture always of her beautiful little son because God gave her a husband and God has given her a beautiful child and she always writes to let us know that God was faithful even in the problem, even in the crises. We will have tribulation, but he has overcome the world. And we learn how to trust the God of all truth who guides us through the problem into the truth of the matter. It's always that way with God. You can truly understand the value of problems. Now, there are two things I give you in my message today, all of that leading up to these two points. Number one, if we didn't have problems, we would invent them. I see some of you understand what I'm saying already. And number two, we're going to look at God's view of problems. It's important to know God's view of problems. But first of all, if we didn't have problems, we would invent them. Now, this really came to me when reading an article about a Boeing 707 jet. I had sat in airplanes many times and looked out the window and saw these funny little metal things on the wings. They didn't seem to have any purpose that I could tell, and they're also back on the tail section of the plane. When I read this article, it all came into focus because I learned that there are a series of blades on the wing same thing repeated on the tail section called vortex generators. Now, aren't you glad you know that? Well, oftentimes the air is entirely too smooth. Smooth air presents a problem to an airplane. Are you with me now? We can steer this plane, the pilot says, better when we have a certain amount of turbulence. So when it is too quiet, we have to manufacture turbulence by the flow of air through blades, catching the tail section's blades and generating a sort of vortex or whirlwind atmosphere. It helps the plane. It has to be in order for the plane to fly right. Now when I sit down by the window, as I did last Monday morning, and look out and see those blades, I understand very well. And I say, thank God for problems, 
They're sort of vortex generators that help us fly properly in life, that we're never healthy and we cannot go on a smooth course all the way through life and be well. We have to have problems. If we didn't, we would invent them ourselves. You see, this is what happens when a businessman comfortableizes himself in his business. He just coasts. Suddenly, he sees a couple competitors out here who are doing better than he is doing, and his air gets generated, stirred up. He feels a whirlwind around him, and he wakes up. He opens his eyes, and he gets back on the ball, and his problem generates a greater business and a greater happiness and literally keeps him from bankruptcy. It works that way through all of life for us. What God is saying is problems are good for you. They have real value. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. That was revealed to me again this week when I got on that airplane Monday morning to fly to Springfield, Missouri via Dallas, Texas. It was a 7.14 a.m. flight. I had been up late Sunday night. It was a full day Sunday. I was weary. I had just a few hours sleep, very few, getting up at 5 o'clock to get the plane. My hope and prayer was that I would have a row all to myself, and I would look at the manuscripts that had been given me for correction for some booklets we're printing, and when I got sleepy, I could just go to sleep. Well, before we left the house, I prayed with my wife that God would direct our day and he would bring into our day whatever was his desire, and it evidently was his desire for me to stay awake all day. Because I sat down in the plane, nobody in the seats, and I thought, ah, oh. but it didn't stay that way. Before we took off, a young lady came down the aisle in a wave outfit. That's the women's navy. She had three stripes on her sleeve, and she was looking for her seat, and obviously it was in my row. So I got up and helped her get her things up in the cubby hole, and she sat down, and I struck up just a friendly word, which is proper, found out she was from Sacramento, going on assignment to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., as an aide to the Admiral of the Navy. She was scared to death. Well, during this time, they're telling you how to use the mask if there's a problem, you know, and they're going through all this stuff that they have to go through, so you can't visit too well right then. And then there's the rush of the aircraft getting down the runway, and all of the people who have never flown are scared, spitless, and they're hanging on. And, looking out the window to see if there are any flames coming from the engines. So everybody's dead quiet, you know, during that time. So I waited until we got up in the air and pursued the conversation because I could tell she wanted to. 
She asked me where I was going, and I said to our headquarters that I was a minister. Might as well get it out of the way. They'll find out sooner or later. <laughs> going to an important meeting by way of Dallas. Oh, she said, I have been asking the Lord for his guidance in this situation in my life. But I do not feel right. I do not have any peace. I'm in turmoil. And she started to cry. Big tears streaming down her cheeks. I took her by the hand and I said, Becky, let's pray about it. And about that time, I just bowed my head and I said, Dear Lord, the stewardess walked up and said, Would you like some coffee? I heard her right here. But never answered, and I guess she went on her way. It's always that way, isn't it? Seems like. So I prayed for Becky. Becky Stevens is her name. She had all of her relatives at the airplane to see her off, and she was broken by having to say goodbye to all of her family and go to this uncertain place. She had never been to assign an assignment she thought was totally greater than she was totally out of her control, were the circumstances of her life, in Becky's opinion. We talked nonstop to Dallas, Texas. And I shared with her scriptures, and I shared with her the character of God who never calls a person to a task without equipping that person for the task, and gave her examples and encouraged her in the Lord. And though she said, I don't know Jesus very, very well, I want to know him more, and I don't know a lot about the Bible, I want to get into the Bible more, Becky, as much as she understood of God, was trying to get the direction of God in her life. And I was thrilled to be able to say to her, Becky, this is going to be the greatest adventure of your life. I feel it way down inside of me. And then tears again. And I said, by the way, I have some friends in Washington, D.C. In fact, I have the phone number of one of them right here in my attache case. Would you like to have my friend's name and his phone number? He's a dynamic Christian, an assistant to the president. And you can call him, and he has prayer groups, and he's a dynamic person. Herb Ellingwood is his name. Here's his phone number. Oh, she said, this is incredible. I don't believe this is happening. I said, here's the name of a congressman I know and his wife, both outstanding Christians. They would love to hear from you in Washington, and they will help you in your Christian walk. You will have some friends the minute you get a hold of them. Oh, she said before we got off that plane, this is the third most significant event of my whole life. What a difference than when she sat down in that seat with tears saying, I don't feel capable, I don't understand this, it's going to be horrible. Now she says it's the third most significant event of her life. I didn't ask what the other two were. <laughs> but I'm glad to be third on the list. Thought that wasn't too bad for strangers on a plane. Gave her my card, said keep in touch, and I'm looking forward to 
some wonderful things coming from Washington, D.C. Her problem is going to be beyond question the greatest event of her life. I know that in my spirit. Her problem is leading her to bigger and better things. Don't you see it? If we didn't have problems, we would invent them. We would have to in order to grow and develop our character and our position in this world. We have to have them. Look at Joseph. Joseph would have been a sheep tender the rest of his life if problems hadn't driven him to Egypt and driven him into prison and driven him to the throne of Egypt, the patriarch of Egypt. Problems did that. If Joseph had never had any problems, he would never have grown. So God made sure he had enough problems to grow. And that's exactly what he's doing with you, mister, and you, and lady, and young people. Exactly what he does. If we didn't have them, we would invent them because we cannot live without them. Second thing is we need God's view of problems. And the best way I can tell you of God's view of problems is by reciting for you the story of an 80-year-old man who never went through the third grade in school, who, when younger men would come to him, had a unique way of looking at problems. These younger men would come with, quote, an awful problem, unquote, and he would say, oh, let me see it. I've never seen an awful problem. I've always wanted to see one. Then he would look at their problem and he would say in his quaint way, oh, ho, ho, this is a pretty good problem. Congratulations. And stunned, the person would stand there waiting for what would follow. And usually what would follow would be his response to, what do you mean, congratulations? Don't you know anything about God, he would say? God just has the time of his life. God has a sense of humor. You know, God actually has a lot of fun with people. He plays games with them, games like we used to play as children. God plays hiding games, this unique fellow would say. He takes some wonderful thing and puts it down in the middle of a great big trouble. Then he gives you the trouble and says, let me see you find what I put there. And God just chuckles while you hunt around in this trouble. And when you find it, God just laughs right out loud. He's so happy. Most of us would say, well, he's probably just killing himself right now over mine. This fellow would dismember a problem, like carving up a Thanksgiving turkey. He would tear a problem to pieces and finally would exultantly say, Look, there it is. There is that wonderful thing God put in this problem for you. Now, friends, that's exactly the way I see it. That the greatest gems are in the midst of problems. The most valuable mines are not the easiest to get to or the easiest to mine. They are the most difficult. 
So what to do if you've got a great big difficulty? You just sit down with your husband or wife or somebody and just tear that problem all apart. You look for the good that's in it. Because, hear me, there is good in it without question. I don't care what the problem is. There is good in that problem. God sees to it that there is good in that problem. Right in the middle of it, there's a gem for you to find. Then you pray about it. You handle your problems spiritually. God wants to make us strong people. So you come at it not as the world comes at it. You come at it not in a flippant way. You come analyzing it, praying over it, remembering John 16, 13. The Spirit will guide you into the truth of that problem. He doesn't take us out of the world, but allows us to find the hidden gems in the midst of the world. And the result is we get stronger and stronger, and we adventure through the great kingdom of God. The value of problems. A great businessman handled his problems this way, and he left eight points that I just throw out to you very rapidly today in my message, because they are so much what I believe is the way we should handle our problems. First of all, he said, don't panic, keep calm. Now, ladies, do you hear me? You're the greatest victims of this particular problem. You're like a fellow who sticks his finger in a circuit and the hair just goes, whoa, that's the way. When a problem comes, so many females, they just, whoa, all circuits are gold, man. It's, it's electric all around. That's why God gave you us. I just woke up three ladies in a row back there on that. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Their mouths weren't open yet, so they were still okay. But Don't panic. That's the tool of the devil, is to make you panic. The only way to handle a problem is discipline yourself, not to fly off the handle and think that you're done for. Secondly, don't be overwhelmed by the problem. Don't get dramatic about it. It's a problem, and you say, well, here I am, and God, you're right here, and I can handle it. Sounds simple? It's really that simple. Here we have a problem, and here we have God who will guide us into truth. Don't be overwhelmed by it. It's not new. Somebody has handled that before you. So God has already had some experience. Don't be overwhelmed. Third, practice deconfusion. You know, most of our problems come surrounded by confusion. So we have to deconfuse the problem. A good way to do that is to take a paper and pencil and write every element of the problem down. When you see it in front of you, the blurred effect of the problem disappears. You can see it exactly as it is, and usually it's much different than you had it conjured up in your thinking. Deconfuse it. Fourth, don't engage in post-mortems. Don't nurse regrets. Here's what I found. Somebody came to me this week. Oh, why did I do that? 
we say something quite similar to that. I wish I hadn't done that. You know what we're doing? We're conducting post-mortems. We're going back, always back, and we never are helped by going back. The Christian is given strength to handle today and wisdom to handle today so he does not engage in post-mortems. He forgets which is behind and he moves on to those things that are before knowing that God is assisting him in handling the problem. Fifth, he seeks a solution, not for the whole problem, but for the next step in the problem. I practice this all the time. I just look for the next step, and if I'm making progress, I can handle it. He looks for a solution to the next step, not necessarily the whole problem, just move through it a step at a time. Sixth, you practice creative listening. Harry Bullis, president of one of the big flour mills in, in, in Minneapolis, does this. He's a Christian, and he, when he has a big problem, he takes his dog out into the woods, and he sits on a log, and the dog sits in front of him, and he talks to his dog about the problem, and then he listens. And when he listens, he said, invariably, I look into the face of that dog, and that dog is saying to me, you stupid Harry, why don't you listen? The answer is all around you, Harry. Just listen. And God gives him the solution to the problem, and he and the dog walk back from the woods into the everyday world. You see, it's pretty hard to listen when we've got rock and roll stations going. It's pretty hard to listen when we've got the traffic rumbling by and we're headed this way and that. It's even hard to find a quiet neighborhood anymore, isn't it? So we really have to focus on number six. Create a listening atmosphere for God's voice. Seventh, always ask, what is the right thing to do? There is a right thing to do in any situation, and there is a wrong thing to do, and we have to come to God and say, God, what is the right thing for me to do in this situation? Don't let me blow it. Give me your wisdom. Give me your guidance. I insist on doing the right thing. And then last, keep on praying, keep on thinking, keep on believing. You just repeat over and over again what you've done. You keep on believing, keep on praying, keep on thinking, keep on availing yourself to God. There is no problem that Calvary has not smacked right in the face. There is no problem that the empty tomb does not shout victory over. The Bible is resplendent with promises. The Lord is my strength. Isaiah 12, 2. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or of what shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, verse 1. Job 12, 13. With him is wisdom and strength. God giveth strength and power. Psalm 68, 35 says. God is the strength of my heart. Psalm 73, 26 reads. For when ye were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6 says. All of this says there is value in your problems for they make you strong and better.
or having had the problem. That is God's view. Years ago, a young lady from America stood before Queen Elizabeth at Wimbledon, the champion of tennis. And as she was given the crown of the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world, her young life flashed before her. And she remembered how that born in the city of New York, a very poor parent, struggling in early life, quite young, moving outside the city, becoming very ill, losing her strength, seemed to be no convalescent law that was helping her at all. But with a very wise mother, that mother took her to the window one day and pointed out the window a far piece from the back door of the house and said, do you see that rock down there? Yes. Her mother said, I want you to go down and move that rock toward the house so that we can use it as a stepping stone to our back porch. But she said, Mother, I don't know if I can even walk down there, let alone move that stone to the house. Her mother said, you go and you do what you can every day. I want that stone by the back porch. So she went. She moved it one half inch the first day, but she moved it. Day after day, the little girl pushed and tugged at that stone, moving it an inch, then three inches, then five inches. It took her two months to get that stone to the back porch, which should have taken no more than 15 minutes. But at the end of those two months, her weakness had turned to strength. And from that, she learned a wonderful thing. If we feel weak, we can go grow strong in the struggle. Althea Gibson stood before the queen and received the championship of tennis because she learned as a young girl that problems are good for you, that they can make you strong and a better person for having gone through them. And as I have been pastoring this church now for these almost four years, I've been aware lately so much of the need of proclaiming this kind of truth to you. Because some of you have the idea that God is against you, that there are problems in your spiritual life that are bringing these problems, and it just is not that way necessarily. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. We are born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. Nobody gets through unscathed. We are all facing problems. And like Becky on the airplane, it can be the greatest time of your life, and like Althea Gibson, it can bring you into strength and prominence and championship form, and like Jesus who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So you 
can endure the problems that he allows to come to make you strong and a blessing to the kingdom that he is establishing. Slip into God's plan. Stop struggling over the things that come and say, well, what is it, God? Let me listen to you. Let me do the right thing. Don't let me panic, God. Help me to serve you strongly and well and to glorify you through this thing. Bring honor to your name. And it will happen. You will be blessed. And all around you will be blessed. And the kingdom of God will be advanced. So the value of problems. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Before we pray, and as your heads are bowed, I have had a strong sense today since coming to church that many of you are facing a problem or a multiplicity of problems. Maybe you saw the ad in the paper or you saw the announcement of my message in the mailer and you said, I've got to hear that because of what I'm going through. I want to pray for you today that God will give you the strength you need and the wisdom you need to know the truth that God is seeking to portray in this problem you're facing, in this situation of your life. And if that be you, I want you to raise your hand and hold it there a minute, wherever you sit right now. Just lift it up. I want to look around because I want to pray as intelligently as I can now in these next few moments. I want to pray for you. There are many, many hands up, down and upstairs, both. Yes, yes, God bless you. Now, those of you who had your hand up, if you believe what I preach, put your hand down. All right, now we're going to apply that. Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, who walked this earth, faced every problem that we would ever face, we ask you for healing in the lives of these dear people who have raised their hands. We ask for it today. It does not need to be postponed until tomorrow or next week. That healing can come, a healing of their memory, a healing of why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? That can all be put aside, and I ask right now that it be put away forever, that it be gone in Jesus' name. And now they're able to face today and cope with today and say, God, I open my mind and my heart to what you have to say for me in the midst of my problem. Lay your hand upon them all right now, all over this building, dear Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for lifting the load, for giving them assurance and peace. In that verse in John 16, Lord, you said that we would have peace in the world. We could even have the peace that Jesus had as he faced the cross. Because it's his peace and not peace that the world gives. So give them your peace right now. Thank you for it, Lord. Teach us what we need to know as we walk through our particular storm. 